Our scripture reading this morning is from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, reading verses 1 to 31. Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way, with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge. God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius. So no one can say that you were baptized in my name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. The intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards, 
Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God, that is, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. Amen. We are looking at the enemies of free souls. We're trying to see the things that might on our way through Lent um, to uh, look in a little bit more pietistically than maybe we certainly have done in my preaching series since I came to Fitzroy, looking in at the, our own souls and seeing the things that might prevent us from being the fulfilled human beings and followers of Jesus that uh, we could be. And uh, today we're looking at pride. The worship bands are um, just worrying who's going to get lost. They're trying to find worship songs that might fit in with that particular day. And uh, I haven't quite decided yet. I have them all on tender hooks as to who might get that. So when you send out greed, people go, oh, that could have been worse. Um, that's where we are at the moment in our relationship between worship bands and minister. Um, but uh, today we're looking at pride. And um, I don't know whether there's any rhyme or reason to my uh, ordering of this, but uh, I want to contextualize it like we did last week, because uh, if you weren't here last week, we were looking at Galatians and how we were wanting to contextualize this little bit of inward looking uh, in the sense of God's grace and love for us, that we weren't going to um, hammer each other into uh, guilt-ridden Presbyterians, um, but that we would see it from a, a more positive light. And, and I thought what uh, June Pat was reading to us there from um, Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians 1 is good, because what we find here in the first chapter of Corinthians is that Paul um, speaks eloquently about this little church in Corinth. He talks uh, very positively about them, and he talks about his love for them and, and their maturity in the faith. And then he comes to appeal to them in their divisions. Again, well, actually, if we looked at Galatians, uh, he's just not so um, uh, contextualizing there. But uh, in most of his letters, he starts by assuring them of who they are in Christ, uh, assuring them of the prayers that he's praying for them and how much they mean to him before then he says, now, wait a minute, I appeal to you. Can we sort this out? If you're unaware of it, and maybe it's those of us who are on the internet that are most aware of what's going on at the minute, there is a theological war going on across the world. Um, a pastor from a church in Grand Rapids, Rob Bell, has written a book, and now actually it's been published, and I do believe there are members of the congregation who have this book. Um, it's a book called Love Wins. And uh, there has been some controversy about this book because in a trailer for the book, um, Bell uh, suggests that we need to look at whether hell exists or at least um, how we judge and damn people, etc., etc. And before the book had even got to the punter and before anybody had read it, 
across the world, there was an evangelical corner that was, in fact, one of the headlines was Goodbye Rob Bell. He'd been done and dusted and judged and hung out to dry. I haven't read the book. But whatever Bell's final conclusions, I do think that we as evangelicals have got to be very careful about how we juxtaposition. Don't ask me to spell it. Um, The love of God and the grace of God and the concept of hell. Larry Norman, old grandfather of Christian rock, I'm sure some of you were at his gigs. Larry used to say in between songs, I went out and I said to people, I've got good news for you. And they said, what is it? And I said, you're going to hell. And he joked about it. But actually, it's a difficult concept for people to grasp. You have good news for me, but I'm going to hell. Well, there is better news coming, obviously, but that's where you jump in. It's difficult for people to grasp that. There's that idea that um, you've got to tell them the bad news first. And somebody told me once, and I'm not sure that I have this in writing, but that Francis Schaeffer once said that if he had somebody for an hour, he would spend 55 minutes on the bad news before he got to the good news. Now, whatever Bell does, if he challenges that, did I say I wanted to challenge Francis Schaeffer? Uh, goodbye, Steve Stockman, perhaps could be the headline. But, but really, if, if, if this book challenges that, then can I say pastorally, pastorally, that would be a helpful thing. Because I still pastor people who are literally depressed because the way that this has been taught to them. They're so conditioned in the template of hell that the good news never gets a chance to break that. And even soundly saved in theological terms, they don't live in the love of God or in the grace of God. They still live in the fear of damnation even though in Northern Ireland evangelicalism, they've gone through the liturgy that should get them in. How we do this is really, really important. This is not my view of Bell's book. I haven't read it. I might not read it. I've never read anything that he's written up until now. I don't say that this declares me as they declare Bell a universalist. It would be great. I'd love to, but I'm not sure I can. But that is not my point. I want us to hear God's soul searching for us and for others, not in the context of damnation, but in the context of grace. So when we come to the sin of pride, let us see it in the context that love has won, at least in the lives of those here in Fitzroy. One definition, pride is excessive belief in one's own abilities that interferes with the individual's recognition of the grace of God. It has been called the sin from which all others arise, 
Pride is also known as vanity. Excessive belief in one's abilities that interferes with the individual's recognition of the grace of God. Now, last week I talked about Genesis and I took us quickly through the, the Bible and its views of envy. And I wonder, it would be really easy to do that again. I wonder if the devil was given the temptation and that story in Genesis was a story where humanity was tempted by being more than humanity was. We talked last week about how we reached to be something greater and we ended up something less. And I wonder if it was some inherent pride, inherent Oh, not getting into that one. I should have David up here to talk about his um, theses and books on uh, Genesis and Adam and sin and all of that stuff. But in my nearly said layman's approach, but you know what I mean, priesthood of all believers and all of that, um, that something there was that we could be better than God. That we wouldn't need God. That we could decide for ourselves what was right or wrong. And I guess if you switch on the radio today or the television, particularly coming out of a post-Christian England, there's great evidence of that. There is no time, in fact, only laughter for anybody that would want to bring in some theistic view of whatever the crisis is that we're going through. There's a pride within humanity that says, "Ah, we actually don't need God. We can get on perfectly well without him. We will sort it out. And then if we watch the news, perhaps we don't see that we're doing too well at that. But it's a pride. We don't need God. Pharaoh's hard-heartedness might be seen as pride. The children of Israel became proud at different times, didn't they? And wouldn't want to listen to the one who'd brought them out of bondage, etc., etc. The Pharisees, were they not proud in their religiosity? Was Paul not proud in his religion that he reads to us in Philippians chapter 3 where he'd done all these things and therefore he was all right before God and he didn't need this Jesus or this sense of grace or whatever else until it broke in on that road to Damascus? Even in this passage that we're reading in uh, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, we find that the Jews demanded signs because they were proud in their religion and didn't need to think that somebody would speak about God from outside their religious leaders. Or the Greeks, well, they were too clever, really. They were so clever and their intelligence was going to give them the answers to life. But really, that's not what I want to talk about today. I don't want to talk about the pride that would stop people from coming to God because the vast majority, I imagine, within uh, the house today are people um, who have come to God. I've always said, you know, uh, people always said to me, there's all those nominal people that go to Presbyterian churches on a Sunday morning. Let me tell you, to get out of bed on a Sunday morning and go to Presbyterian churches and to sit for an hour and a half, you need some kind of faith. I don't know that it needs to be a lot of faith, but you need some kind of passion to be able to get through that. But anyway, what I want us to talk about is the sense of what it might mean for us, those who are traveling on the journey. As when you start a series in Fitzroy, you're handed a number of books um, as to uh, the different ideas that you might take from it. And I was given a fascinating book this week that's based on, I'd never heard of this uh, hermit before. Um, Avagrius, the hermit from the 14th century, talked a lot about the seven deadly sins 
And um, <clears throat> uh, there's a book written, I can't remember the, the girl's uh, name, uh, who ministers uh, in Cambridge. And I've been reading that book this week. And here is um, what Avagrius, the hermit, says about sin. And listen for the, the two things that might get in our way here. The demon of pride is the cause of the most damaging fall for the soul. Four, it induces the monk, because he was a hermit monk, us. Uh, it induces the monk to deny that God is his helper. What we've almost been talking about. We don't need God, we're so together ourselves. And to consider that he himself is the cause of virtuous actions. So anything that's going on, well, I've done this out of my own bat. I don't need God's spirit to help me. Secondly, further, he gets a swollen head in regard to the brethren, considering them stupid because they do not uh, all have the same opinion of him. Now, he's not talking about the Plymouth brethren here. In fact, ironically, or as if by God, the Plymouth brethren will be our final example of humility in today's sermon. But what he is saying here is, if we're proud, the swollen head of who we are and what we know and what we've done and our opinion will cause us to really treat the brethren and the sister, the community of believers, with some kind of arrogance. Not only do we not need God, or maybe we should say those outside have declared they don't need God, and we who in some ways have declared we do need God, could be proud in that we actually don't need each other. I know how Fitzroy should go. I know what the session or the committee should do. I know, and they don't. And within our Presbyterianism, there is something of this community that in its democracy of sorts, the democracy is we uh, choose the government. Well, technically, um, we choose the government. Democracy is not that we decide whether they go to war or not. And I suppose in Presbyterianism, as we vote for elders, the democracy is that we choose our elders. Maybe some of the decisions they make might not be in keeping with us, but we're not going to come to the entire congregation for every decision we make. But we try our best to make this a community. And when I came, I knew I couldn't if I tried but I made sure that I wasn't going to become the minister of Fitzroy who would run Fitzroy. It's not my church. We are beginning to feel that it's our church. But in a number of years, I will leave and I'll not be allowed to come back for a couple of years. You'll still be here. So from the minister to the session and committee, right down, we don't need any sin of pride that says we know we need to share it with each other. We need to discuss it with one another. Sometimes not as much as we do discuss it, can I say, to my brethren and sister in those committees. But we need to make sure that we realize that to listen for God's voice, we need one another and not be proud. So here in Corinthians, some take Apollos and some take somebody else and some take Rob Bell, and some take Mark Driscoll, and some will take Brian McLaren, and some will take Don Carson, and we find ourselves saying, well, we're right. 
No, we're definitely right, and they're definitely right. Goodbye, Rob Bell. You see, no matter what Rob Bell says about these things, I would believe him to be a brother in Christ. I may disagree with him. I may even think that he's wrong. But it doesn't allow me to damn him. Richard Mao, the principal of Fuller, uh, on his blog this week, brought some sense, I think, to the proceedings. Might not be a review of Bell's book, but he did talk about how can we send um, somebody like Mother Teresa to hell because she didn't have a defined theology of justification by faith like we have? How arrogant and proud are we when we think we have it sussed? And should we not be depending on God to be the judge? Should we not be more loving to one another? Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Paul here in Corinthians is reminding them to humble themselves. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many were of noble birth, but God chose the foolish things of the world. He's reminding those that he loves, those who he believes are mature in the faith, not to get too carried away with themselves, not to get too proud. In fact, I'm not sure whether Roberta wanted to emphasize the main point of the whole passage in making it uh, in bold. Um, she maybe didn't, but she got it. Let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. Does it not remind us of what we started the service with? It is by grace you are saved through faith, this not from yourselves, the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Or if we wanted to move into Romans 12, which always challenges me, for by the grace given me, Paul says to every one of the church in Rome, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each one of you. Sober judgment. No more highly of ourselves than we ought, realizing we belong to one another. Pride could give us a refusal of relationship. We don't need our brothers and sisters. We do need our brothers and sisters. God designed that community would be part of the deal. And that community needs the opposite of pride. It needs humility. To trust one another. To share with one another. To serve one another. That takes me back to that African word I use so many times, Ubuntu. The realization that we need each other to fully fulfill our humanity. The obstacle to our free soul is that if we're proud, we can never be the full potential of ourselves because we will stop ourselves being involved in relationship with God or relationship with each other. With pride and without humility, we will devour each other. With pride, we cannot be the full potential of who we are. Think of the fruit of the Spirit for a moment. All of the fruit of the Spirit are about relationship. You can't live in isolation in your proud little ivory tower and fulfill the fruit of the Spirit because the patience, the humility, the gentleness, the faithfulness is all about how we humble ourselves to share and serve others. Jesus, and I'm not sure whether Bell says this, but I'll say it. This is biblical at least. Jesus 
seems to have no problems with the humble sinners. But the pietistical, know-it-all Pharisees who are judging all around him are the only people he ever damns to hell in the Gospels. Not my theological opinion, just a fact. He was able to deal with a Pharisee, he was able to deal with a publican who had done all kinds of stuff but was humble about it, confessed it. But the holy, theologically correct pietist, well, that was a different story. Let me finish with two quick images from yesterday. Do you not see that the closer I get to Sunday, the more alert, alert I am to images that might help the sermon? Give me, let me give you two stories from yesterday. One, I apologize, it is a soccer story, but it's an interesting soccer story. I usually, if you're on my blog or you're talking to me, love with a passion the sport, but detest the way that it's played and done. I hate whinging managers and I hate the lies that are told and the cheating and the deception and all of that stuff. And there's very few real stories of dignity and honor and humility in that sport. Well, yesterday playing in an orange shirt for Blackpool was a guy called Charlie Adam. He's a tough nut from Glasgow. And he scored two goals for Blackpool yesterday. And he plays his heart out from the moment the game starts to the moment the game ends. Now, why would I mention him? Well, earlier in the year, Charlie Adam sued Blackpool Football Club because of payments that they were owing to him. He sued the club. They had belittled him. They had done an injustice against him. They had tried to steal money from him. So he took them to court and he won. And part of the winning was that he could basically leave and tear up the contract because Blackpool Football Club had not honored the contract. The January transfer window came and he was on the news many days. Was he going to Liverpool or was he not? My tip is he will probably in the summer. But he didn't go. And yesterday, the guy who sued the club, the guy who'd been wronged by the club, played his heart out for the club. Not a glorious club. Not a club that are going to get in the Champions League. Not a club that are going to win a trophy. Perhaps even a club that are going to get relegated. But he gave his all because there's something about Charlie Adam that has a humility to say, this is my job and I'm going to do my job and I'm not going to be proud about it and get myself into all kinds of trouble. Or yesterday afternoon, we had the privilege of baptizing Ian on the desk at the back's little son, Rory James. Note the James. Ian Fleming, every Ian Fleming's got to have a James. But we were baptizing Rory James, um, Father Jerry and myself, and we were out in St. Coleman's and then we went back to um, Ian and Julie's for some eats and we were sitting in the front room. And after a period of time, Ian's incredible grandmother started to speak to us. She's a brethren lady. She moved into Kells, uh, I'll say no more, 
She moved into Kells to be across the road from the gospel hall so she could walk across there in the morning. And she leaned over and she started speaking to these two clerics from different denominations that no doubt in the gospel hall in Kells are not going to be asked to speak or take the communion anytime soon. But she showed us a graciousness and a passion for the scriptures and a love of God that was intoxicating. It was amazing. This little lady in the corner, and I get up because we had to leave because the Irish game was getting far too close for comfort. And I had to leave Jerry back to Clonard and I was working out the fastest route. And I thought, maybe I'll just nip in for a prayer. And then I was proud enough to think, ah, we'll beat them without prayer. Oh, how hypocritical I was. Um, but anyway, um, I, I went out to say cheerio to Ian and Julie. And I came back in and I looked across this room. And Jerry and Ian's granny are having this amazing conversation. And you know what she was saying to us? This week's verse, because she says, I always carry a verse around with me. Always carry a verse around with me. I write it out and I have it on the table and I maybe put it up in the mirror and I just have a verse and I just think about that verse for the week. And uh, just, you know, you need to unpack it. You need to, she was preaching it to the clergy. And her verse for this week was, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. I'd already shared with Jerry what I was preaching today and he says to her, he says, you're not going to believe it, but you're going to be the main point of a sermon tomorrow. Isn't that a great passage, Steve? And it is. And I'll leave it with you. I'll leave with you the wisdom of Ian's grandmother. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And I'm reading the King James because that's the one she says she knows. Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And I sat yesterday as the three of us rhymed that off. Catholic, Presbyterian, and Gospel Hall. And I thought, I want to be part of that church. That whether we have differences, or we don't think the other has it right, we will still have this passion to follow this Jesus without pride because we have nothing to offer in relationship with him and with one another we'll humbly walk in to tomorrow let us pray Lord deep within us search our hearts see if there is any wicked way within us is there pride, Lord? Is there even at times a pride that we won't come to you? That we're not honest in our prayer life? Maybe we lost something when we threw out the confession. Because the scripture said it is good to confess. If there's any proud way in us that would prevent us from being honest with you, Lord, take it away. Help us to be dependent not on our wisdom or miracles seen or our own piety but on your grace. And then Lord search us deep inside to see if there's any pride within this fellowship as we share with one another 
Are we denying relationship? Do we not trust or share or serve in the way that you call us to do humbly? And then, Lord, may we as a fellowship, no matter how well you move us forward and how mature we become as a community, may we never be so proud that we wouldn't think of relationships with those around us. Keep us humble, Lord. Give us the mind of Jesus Christ, who humbled himself and became obedient, even death on a cross. May we take that image and those words into the week ahead. In Christ's name, amen. We sing as we close that our eyes might be open to those